Well, if you've got your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. Let's read together. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer you to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people and the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the results of the word that draw men and women to repentance and bring us into the family of God. And we thank you that the family of God is so much broader than we may understand or realize or believe. That those of us that may worship in different places week to week can trust and understand that we are worshiping with a congregation of believers that is countless, that groups men of every tribe and tongue and nation. We all gather together to worship you because you are worthy of worship, that you has bought us with a price, that you have displayed your love for us and proved your love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Scott, as we reflect on your love for us and on our love for you this morning, God, help us to be reminded that you are worthy of our love. Help us to love you more this day and as we go from this place. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen, amen. Uh, so my name is Matt McKay, and I am uh, associate pastor at North Fairfield Baptist Church. I have I had the pleasure of being there for 19 years now, and uh, part of the reason that I am here this morning is because I had the good pleasure of being uh, the Watson Kids youth pastor for most of their entire tenure, and uh, two of them actually invited me to perform their weddings. The other ones um, I, I'm not fans of. So <laughs> the... Um, so the two that, those, those are my favorite two, and uh, the other ones, I mean, I love them, but they're just, they're not my favorite two Watson kids. Uh, we love the Watsons. They were uh, great to us, and it's uh, exciting for us to see them. Uh, I know Chad because uh, his family does co-op stuff with us at our church, and uh, he's been part of Upward for a while, and also our senior pastor had like a community prayer thing with other senior pastors, and uh, he was a part of that for a long period of time, and he and I have had numerous conversations of theology and uh, different things at uh, Coffee Cup Overflowing and other different places, and uh, he's a, a kinship. I was so happy to hear that he got the sabbatical. It's an amazing blessing for him and his family and for you all as well as the church. Uh, I was very excited to hear that you all have this facility. Last time I was with you guys, you all were still at uh, Fairfield East Elementary, and I had the privilege of worshiping with you all a couple years ago then as well. It's been a pleasure for me kind of on the outside to see how God has been blessing you all as a church and continue to, to bless the ministry and the fruits of Chad's labors. And uh, we're excited to see what God continues to do, particularly as you have this kind of exciting ministry opportunity with you all being really close to this grand facility that has just opened up next to you. And uh, so we'll continue to pray that God will bless you as you all serve the community. Um, as Chad kind of put things across, his, his hope was for you all to kind of walk through psalms together. It's beneficial because psalms are individualistic. Each psalm kind of stands on its own. So you have random people uh, that you don't know coming to preach to you week to week during his sabbatical. We don't have to build on one another. So that's important for us because I have no clue what the last guy said. And the next guy will have no clue what I said unless uh, we do our homework and actually watch them. And uh, I just want to be honest, I didn't. So... Here we are. Um, it is Father's Day, and one of the, the blessings that I have is to be a father. My wife, uh, Teresa, is here. We've been married for 21, 21 years now. Uh, this coming August will be 21, and uh, so excited that she's here. And my three kids are here, Canaan and Titus and Macy. And uh, it's just a blessing to be called a father and to have that privilege. And one of the, the toughest questions I've ever gotten as a father is, why do you love me? I don't know what, if you understand the difficulty of that question. Uh, I had a four-year-old at the time, and you know, one of the things that we as fathers should say on a regular basis is, I love you. Uh, I was blessed with a father who regularly displayed his love for me and kind of constantly uh, told me that he loved me. And so just in a normal conversation in the kitchen, uh, I told my four-year-old that I loved her, and she goes, well, why? And that kind of, as a dad, it'll like strike you a little bit off guard. You have to kind of think through all the, the reasons uh, one of the unique things as parents, though, is like we just love our kids because they're our kids. But that's a unique relationship. If you think about it, in most all other relationships, we love people because we have a history with them and we've observed their character. I've done some premarital counseling, and, and one of the things that you ask people in the midst of premarital counseling is, one, why do you want to get married? And two, why now? In the midst of asking that question, most people will say, I want to get married because I love this person, and so then I will ask, why? 
And it makes potential married couples think through this question of, what is it about this person that makes me love them? And they will regularly say, I have a history with this person. We have fond memories. We've been through a lot. And I appreciate their character and the things about this person. And what happens in Psalm 116 is the author of the psalm reflects on that question, why do I love the Lord? And he bases it on those same two things. I have a history with the Lord, and the Lord has character that is worthy of my love. He begins, and he drives this whole Psalm 116 with this question for us. The question for us is, do I love the Lord, and why? Because he begins with five important words. I love you, Lord, because. I love you, Lord, because. And a question I want to pose for all of us this morning is, how would you fill in that blank? Now, the psalmist is going to do this, and he's going to do it for us, and he's going to help us fill the blank in. But we all are going to have kind of different individualistic answers to that question. And this psalmist has some specific individualistic questions about it, but there are also uh, answers to it. And he also has kind of universal answers to it as well. One of the unique things about this individual's psalm that he writes in response to the answer to this question, to how he phrases his reasons for loving the Lord, is that this individual psalmist's psalm becomes a corporate psalm that is sung by the nation of Israel and was remembered for generations and generations during their celebration of the Passover. This is one of the Hallel Psalms, which is the praise psalms. And all of these psalms, verse, uh, Psalm uh, 113 through 118, include the phrase, praise the Lord, or hallelujah. And these psalms are used to prepare the people of God for the Passover feast and remind them of why God is worthy to be praised. So understand what happens. This individual reflects on why he loves the Lord, and he expresses his individual response, and that individual's response was then taken by the people of God for their reminder of why they love the Lord. And so it should drive us as well to think both individually and corporately and universally as to why God is worthy of our love. I want to assure you this morning that God is worthy of your love. And we have sound biblical and historical reasons to love the Lord. And hopefully we, just as the people of God for generations and generations, can learn from and understand um, the truths that are expressed therein. I want us to reflect uh, individually and corporately as you as a body of, uh, of Christ on who God is and what he's done for us. This individual psalm uh, that was used corporately. So we're going to look at three different things. I'm not going to alliterate. So I'm sorry, uh, I know that's not very Southern Baptist of me. You expected really alliterative things when you knew a Southern Baptist was going to come preach. I don't know if you Presbyterians uh, do alliteration, but we are known for it. And uh, so I'm sorry. At the end, the conclusion will have three alliterated reflection things. So you can just know, looking forward to it, there will be some alliteration from the Southern Baptist, all right? So first, our love for God, if you're following along, if you want to write notes, first, our love for God is based upon his actions in our past. Our love for God is based upon his actions in our past. And one of the things that we, as we think through this, it's not just his actions in our individual past, 
It's also his actions just in the past for other people and throughout all history. In Psalm 116, this individual's past is reflected in these first four verses, verses 1 through 4. He's literally on death's door. He says, verses 1 through 4, I love the Lord. Just I need to, uh, as I'm reading this, give you all a little aside. I am Southern Baptist, so I use a Southern Baptist Bible. The Christian Standard Bible, CSB, uh, stands for uh, Core Southern Baptist, Conservative Southern Baptist, uh, Common Southern Baptist, uh, Creative. It's just it's the Southern Baptist Bible. And uh, so this is what I've got. So your reading of it may a little be a little different in your ESV that you all have. Uh, so it says, verses 1 through 4, I love the Lord. Why? Because he heard my appeal for mercy. He turned his ear to hear me. I will continue to call out. Why? The ropes of death were wrapped around me, and the torments of Sheol overcame me. And then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. So he reflects back on this very personal moment when he's on kind of death's doorstep, and he calls out to the Lord, and the Lord saves him. And it presents this kind of universal truth that your love for the Lord, my love for the Lord, everyone's love for the Lord is based upon how the Lord has moved in their life up to that point and how the Lord has moved in the lives of those around them and how the Lord has just worked in general. We are not God uh, so our love for him is, just, is not just general. It doesn't just happen. Our love has a cause, and it is the effect. The cause is God has shown himself to be worthy of love by acting in loving ways towards us. Universally, this is true of creation. Creation is good. It is beautiful. It is lovely. Creation is for our joy and for our good. And because God creates all things and he creates them beautiful and he creates them lovely, he creates them to display his glory, we can see him rightly and love him as a result of that creation. And in particular, he creates man in his image, this unique creation of man. And what is unique about us as this unique creation is among all of creation, we are the only part of creation that can say what this psalmist says. No other aspect of God's creation can say or will say, I love you, Lord. Like Jesus will say that the rest of creation will cry out and worship. Paul says that all creation and the Psalms say that all creation is displaying the glory of God. And so creation can show that God is glorious, but no other part of creation can say or will say, I love you, Lord. Not even the angels can say along with us as, hu uh, as humanity, as the image of God, the one who bears the image of God and has this unique part of all creation, only we are able to say, I love you, Lord. Have you contemplated that? That in all of creation, we are the only beings of all creation that get to love God. And why do we get to love God? Because he has first loved us. He creates all things, and then he sets apart Israel as his kind of specific people to display his goodness through, to display his love through, to display his mercy through. Not a people who deserved his love, not a people who did anything to earn his love, but God chooses this people to display his love and goodness and for them to then be a blessing to the nations around so that other people can see 
that God is worthy to be loved and praised and worshipped. And then he sends the ultimate display of his love. The grand display of God's love is Jesus, and Paul says it for us this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God proves or demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice how it says this, though. It doesn't say that God proved, past tense, his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, past tense, for us. It says God proves, present tense, perfect, his love for us. So the present proof today for us that God loves us and as a result we can love him is that Jesus died for us. If you ever wonder if God is worthy of love, you can always look back to the cross. Your life situation at this moment may be difficult. Your history with God may be difficult. But at every single moment, all of the people of the world, there is a historical event they can look back to and say, why would I love the Lord? Because he demonstrates his love for me that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. That while we as humanity were yet sinful, Christ died for us. It is the demonstration, the proof of his love for us and the foundation of our love for him. Christ's death is the present proof of his love for us. So those are kind of the universal historical actions of God that help us to love him. But we also have individual things, each of us, that help us to love God as a result of. The psalmist is kind of this metaphor of salvation. I called out to the Lord in my distress in the midst of death and he saved me. And it points us forward to anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord who can be saved. If you are here this morning and you have salvation in your history, your present love for God is built upon that moment in which you confessed your sins and God was faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That your present love for God is is built upon and based on the fact that at some point you acknowledge God as your Lord and Savior. That your present love for God is built from this historical moment that continues on through every point in your life. For me, I was 16 years old. I was raised in a church that talked about Jesus but never really presented salvation or grace or forgiveness. It was do these things and you can earn right standing. And I never believed those things, and I had no hope, I had no faith, I had no kind of joy in life, nothing to kind of hold me to. And at some point, at 16 years old, I heard about the love of God and the grace of the gospel, and it radically changed me. And at every moment of my life, I can look back and say, there is something that happened in my life in which God heard me as an individual, and because of that, I can love him. But that individual thing wasn't just individualistic. My entire family is different because of what God did in that moment in my life. He saved me, he saved my dad, he saved my brothers, and he changed the whole outlook of my family in that moment. And I have this history of God redeeming people close to me that I can look back on when times are rough and I, can, I think to myself, God, are you still worthy of love? There's this history of my individual life that I can look back on. And your life is different but similar. If you're here and you're a believer, you have that to cling to at all moments. I know who I have believed in. And I am persuaded that he is able 
to do that which he has done until that day. That that same God who saved me is the same God today when things may not be going well. And so is, is he still worthy of my love? Yes. So he saves you. And some, for some of you, he has healed you and or those close to you. The psalm is a psalm about healing. And many of us have stories that we know of God doing something miraculous and beyond kind of comprehension that God would move in someone's life in a specific way. We have stories of relationships being brought together because of God and his grace and his goodness. And all of us as individuals have something that we can do to fill in that blank of these first four verses. What is your individual story of how God has moved in your life that has helped you get to this point where you can say, I love the Lord because at 16 years old, he saved my life. I love the Lord because he saved my family. I love the Lord because he has blessed me with a loving family that is beyond what I could compare. I love the Lord because he has blessed me with a church that has loved us and cared for us well and kept us well. I love the Lord because he is in the midst of pain and suffering and health crisis. He has protected us from death and famine and a way of life that so many people may fall into, that God has protected us in all those things. And your story is going to be there. But it's also, so this psalm is universal. It talks about universal truths. It's individualistic. It talks about an individual story. But it's also corporate because God's corporate people had adopted this psalm as their own. And so it's also good for you all and for us as kind of corporate bodies to think about what has God for you as a, done for you as a corporate body of Christ that is worthy of his love, that helps you love him? Now, I don't know all the stories of Living Hope. Uh, I'm not a, a member of the church. I don't have the history. And, uh, but I'm going to assume some things this morning about your church and some things that I know about. One, I assume that God has been faithful to draw people in the midst of your congregation from death to life. Uh, In the 10 years, my assumption is that you have seen people turn from death and hell and the ways of life to living for God. I I assume that people have gotten saved in the last 10 years of your church, and every one of those times is an opportunity for you as a corporate body of Christ to reflect on the love of God and to continue to move forward because God is still moving in the life of your church. You have a loving pastor and family who cares for you, for you well and devotes his time and energy and talents to you. And I would say that is worthy of turning to God in thanks for and love for because so many churches do not have that and have not had a loving pastor who gives of himself and his family. You have... I'm certain new members and attendees because I've heard stories this morning of people who were not here from day one, which means at some point, some of you people joined the midst of this congregation and God has continued to draw new members and new attendees and even provided children to people who were at some point hoping for children and hoping for a family. That even you as a body of Christ have specific stories from this body that you can look to in the history and say, God, you are worthy of my love and worthy of me continuing to love and to turn to because you have moved in my past and the past of the world and you have moved in the life 
of this church. One thing that we can just look around us and say, like, God has blessed you with this facility. As I said, last time I was here, this was not the place you were. And God is continuing to show his goodness. So we love others for history with them, but also for their character. And this is where the psalm moves to. It begins with, I love you, Lord, because you have acted in this way towards me. I have a history with you. And then he goes from the history to the character of God. So it rests upon his faithfulness in the future, verses 5 through 11. Point one, our love for God is based upon uh, his actions in our past. And it rests upon his faithfulness in the future, verses 5 through 11. In particular, uh, particular, I want you to look at verse uh, 5 through 7 says this, the Lord is gracious and righteous, immediately turns to the character of God. Our God is compassionate. The Lord guards the inexperience. I was helpless and he saved me. Verse seven, return to your rest, my soul. Why? For the Lord has been good to you. Notice what he's saying to, to himself. I can rest because God has been good to me and God is, verse five, gracious righteous and compassionate. His assumption, and it is a good assumption, is that God will continue to be who God has always been. And because God has always been gracious and righteous and compassionate, he can rest even in the midst of affliction because he can trust that God is always going to be that. That our love for him is dependent upon him being the same yesterday and today and forever. Unlike the stock market, God's past performance is reflective of future returns. His past performance is reflected of future returns. We can trust that the, the way that God behaved in the past is going to be the way that he will always behave. And our ability to love him depends upon his unchanging love and his unchanging character. Understand that statement, that your ability to love God and God's loveliness depends on his unchangeableness. Because if the God who was in control of all things was completely powerful and could judge instantly, if his character changed, we would tremble. But we could not love. Because we would never know if tomorrow he would be different than he was today. But... God is a faithful, unchanging God. And so we can trust that no matter what life looks like in the moment, we can trust that he is always going to be good. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is compassionate. He has always been and he will always be. This is a statement of faith. And all of these Hallel Psalms are statements of faith to remind God's people, no matter what they're going through in life, that God is worthy of praise. He is good and he is worthy of our love. Think about what we confessed together just a few moments ago. In the confession, we said this about God. He is most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Why 
do you regularly repeat confessions and remind yourselves of who God is? It's the same reason that the people of God did these Hallel Psalms and other things because we are prone to forget. And in the circumstances of life, we wonder, is God still worthy of love and is he still good? And then we turn to Psalms like Psalm 116 that remind us of yes, He is the same yesterday and today and forever. No matter what you're going through in this moment, it doesn't mean that God is not good. It is a statement of faith and reminder to ourselves that no matter what is going on, God is good and loving and just. There's a song that that we've started singing a few years ago. And the first opening to the song says this, I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. Your mercy never fails me. Psalm 116, you are good and righteous and compassionate. And sometimes it doesn't appear this way, right? Sometimes we go through life in suffering and pain and temptation and trials come into our life. And we wonder, we question in our our hearts, we are tempted by Satan, the accuser, to wonder, is God still God? Is he good and loving and righteous and compassionate? And we need reminders like this, calls to to remind ourselves to cling to the hope that yes, even when things aren't looking great, God is still compassionate and righteous and good and merciful. His love never fails. Sometimes life makes it difficult to believe that God is good and loving and gracious. But he is. And he always will be. And God will continue to display his mercy, grace, and compassion. How do we know this? Why do we love God? Because we know that God will constantly be who he is universally. He is going to constantly uphold creation. He's going to constantly draw people to himself for repentance. He is going to constantly call out ministers of the gospel, people to pastor and preach and teach and lead. He is going to do what he's always done for you individually. He is going to constantly hear your prayers. There will never be a moment in which you pray to your father that he will not hear you. He will constantly in your life guide you and paths of righteousness. He will constantly in your life work all things together for your good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He will constantly in your life hold you fast to himself. There will never be a moment in which God is not good to you, in which he is not gracious and compassionate and merciful. And for you as a church, corporately, he will do exceedingly abundantly more than you ask or think. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. As a body of Christ, you can know that God will continue to hold you together as people. As a body of Christ, you can trust that God is going to be faithful to you. The Great Commission is built upon the promise of God. He is calling you to do it, and it's based upon the fact that he will always be with you. Therefore, go and make disciples. And we can cling to that truth. So God has acted in our past. His character is beyond compare, 
and his character will always be that moving into the future. So our love for God is based upon his activity in our past. It rests upon his faithfulness in the present and forever and ever. But notice the psalmist and all of our lives have to shift from that. If we love someone, it changes how we behave. And the psalmist understands this, and he moves from I love God to these are the things that I'm going to do to display my love for him. He understands that our love for God impacts how we live. So our love for God, third thing, is displayed in action in the present. Our love for God is displayed in action in the present. This psalm isn't just about why God is worthy of love. It is what happens when we love God and how should that impact our life. Our love for God will be displayed in how we live each day. Notice some I will statements in these last few verses, verses 12 through 19. I will take the cup of salvation. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. I will offer you a sacrifice. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. First, uh, verse 13, I will take the cup and call upon the name of the Lord. To take is to uh, receive from God. It is a, uh, according to Danny Aiken, who's the president of Southeastern Seminary, so you're getting some more Southern Baptist info in your life. Uh, it is returning to God to fill that which he has already filled. So to receive or take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord is, I'm going to go back for that which God has already given me. It is a returning to that salvation, to that goodness which God had given him before. Um, it is, please, sir, may I have some more? Some of you all know the reference to that statement, and I got a couple smiles. The younger generation is just gone. They have no clue what I just referred to. But for those who understand, like, he got a cup of porridge, gruel, really, and he goes back and says he would like some more. And this is what we do every time when, uh, just like the psalmist, we go back to God and say, God, I need more of your joy. I need more of who you are. I need more of the joy of the salvation that you first gave me. It is us returning the cup of salvation to God and us saying to him, please, sir, may I have some more? Can I have some more of that thing that you gave me? I, I need to live on this. This is what I'm dependent upon. And the life of love for God is the life that understands that we constantly return to him for that which he has given us. Second, I will fulfill my vows in the presence of his people. He says this twice, once in verse 14 and another in, in verse 18. He's saying, I will walk before the Lord publicly, that I will publicly live out this love, that the things that I'm feeling, this theology that he's expressing, isn't just going to be internal and it's not just going to be kept secret that he is going to do these things displayed for the world to see. That if we love God, it is going to display itself publicly. And if it is not displaying itself publicly, the question becomes, do we really love him? Because if you can tell someone you love them and never act in a lovingly, loving way towards them, they would question your love for them, Right? And the same thing happens in our relationship to God. We have so many people saying that they love God, and it has no impact on how they live their lives. But we understand from a very human perspective, if we love someone, we're going to behave in a loving way toward them. 
And the same thing holds true in our relationship to God. Third, he says, and I will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Now, in the Old Testament, this is literal. He's probably going to go to the temple and offer a literal sacrifice, which is one of the reasons that this psalm was adopted uh, prior to the Passover celebration. But in the New Testament, this sacrifice for us is a living sacrifice. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. How do we display our love for the Father? It is by dying to self daily. Universally, as a people of God, it means being a part of missions and dying to self in your own wants and needs and sense of comfort and going to share the gospel with the people who may never have heard it before. It's about being a kingdom-minded person and not a selfish person. It's understanding that the kingdom is beyond who you are, beyond who your church is, beyond the bounds of these walls. It's partnering together to expand the kingdom of God and not our own kingdoms. Individually, it means you forsaking your idols and pursuing the things of God and not your own pursuits and your own wants and your, not your own needs. Individually, it's dying to self. Notice there's this uh, interesting insert in verses 15 through 16. It's bracketed by all these I will statements. I will take, I will offer, I will fulfill my vows. And he says this, the death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. Why is that inserted? And most people think, and, and I think the proper understanding of this passage is, he's saying, at some point, God isn't going to hear my prayer for release from death. Remember, the foundation of this prayer is, I was on death's door and I cried out to the Lord and he saved me. And verse 15 is, there's coming a day in which I'm going to cry out to the Lord for rescue from death and that is not going to be God's answer. He is going to allow me to go on to death. And when that happens, I will be found faithful. His statement is, there's coming a day in which I will die. And until that moment, I am going to pursue my love for the Lord and display my love for the Lord and my life. The psalmist may not have died this time, but one day he would. And he would be found still believing and still living out his faith. Corporately, for you guys as a body of Christ, what does this look like? What does living out your love for the Lord look like? Well, uh, you are with us a part of kind of the grander Fairfield community. Uh, we mapped out a, in a five-mile radius from our church, there was about 130,000 people. And this was as a few years ago. Of that 130,000 people, less than 30% would claim to be a believer in Christ. So do that quick math. Um, if we reach everybody that we can at North Fairfield Baptist Church, and you all reach everyone that you can hold here at Living Hope Presbyterian, that's still roughly um, hundreds of thousands, like tens and tens of thousands of people that still will need to be reached with the gospel. You can't do this alone. We can't do this alone. But God has called you to do your part. And the need is great. The need for the gospel and for hope in our community is beyond what we can actually comprehend. And it also, what is kind of dying to self and giving your sacrifice to God, what is displaying your love for God, it looks like it also means being united as a people of God. 
Uh, I recently completed, this, I'm trying not to, but I just want to give you context. I recently completed my uh, doctorate of ministry. I got a doctorate degree. And the foundation uh, for my degree was kind of the outworking of John 17 and the preaching ministry. So John 17, Jesus prays for his people to be united. And he says the reason for this is that the unity of believers brings evangelistic fruit. He says, by your unity, by this, the people will know that they are in Christ. And they will draw people to him through the unity of believers. And if you look around any church, if you look on Facebook, if you look at just kind of the divisive, conflicty uh, nature of our society right now, you would see that Satan is doing a grand job of dividing local churches. And what Satan wants to do is for us to kind of get up in our individual preferences and to separate over non-essential things and non-important things. And as we do that, it just shows the gospel to be not as grand as it really is. The gospel is glorious enough to unite people in a congregation who may think different politically and socially, but are together because of the gospel and what is most important. But as we continue to put on our own flesh, we separate over non-essential things, and then we don't display the glory of the gospel. I am burdened with the fact that God calls us to be a united people, and yet we divide so frivolously. And if you all as a corporate body of Christ are going to display your love for God, one of the ways that is going to happen is by staying united around the mission and core tenets of the church, not united just because of second, third level issues that are not essential to who you are as a church. There are things that you should divide over. Divide over those things. But the small things that should not be divided over point to the gospel and say, this is most important for us as a church. And 10 20, 30 years down the line, as your church has stayed united, God will use that unity to draw people to himself. So three things. First, your love for God is based upon how he has moved in your life in the past, individually, corporately, universally. Second, your love for God. Our love for God is grounded in, founded upon his faithfulness into the future. His future faithfulness for all people universally, his future uh, faithfulness in your individual life, and his future faithfulness for you you all as a body of Christ. And your love for God impacts how you live moment by moment, day by day, individually, universally as all believers, and you corporately as a church. So God's love for us should do a few things. Three alliterated points that God's love should do for us. First, it should cause us to reflect. God's love for us should cause us to reflect. Reflect on all the ways that God has demonstrated his love for you. Take time out of your life this week to make your own Psalm 116. I love you, Lord, because fill in the blank. His love for you should cause you to receive. Receive his gift of salvation. If you are here and you do not know Christ and you've not confessed your faith, if you've not received that forgiveness, my hope is that 
in the midst of this time that God has drawn you to himself, that you've seen that God is worthy of your love and he's worthy of your life and he's worthy of your sacrifice. And this isn't just a singular moment. This is a moment by moment, day after day, for all people who are in Christ. That is calling us to receive that salvation. And last, uh, just to alliterate, render. To render is to kind of give towards that which is due. To offer yourself as that living sacrifice. Because our love for him is because he first loved us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your love for us, that you demonstrate, you prove, you, you display your love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God, help us to live in light of that love. Help us to see that love rightly and to respond to it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.